Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. And so today I want to give you this message. It's entitled, Watch Where You Sit. Right? Watch where you sit. That's right. Turn to your neighbor and say, watch where you sit. You know, when you walked in this morning, why did you choose to sit where you sat? What was your motive to sit there? It's like, I want to sit here, I want to sit there. If you're new, you probably said, I'm going to sit at the back because I can just escape really quickly through the exit <laughs> if I'm not really happy. You know, if you're at home, you'll probably take your favorite seat in your living room because that's a comfortable place to sit. And if you're going to, you know, a concert, you want to sit in a special place. If you're going to the movies, you want to sit in a special place. You often choose, there's often a motive of where you sit. You know, if you went to a restaurant, you want a good seat. I hate the seat next to the toilet because that's the worst thing. There's so much traffic there and you probably have some ungodly smells that come through as well. So you don't want to sit next to the toilet. You want to sit as far away from the toilet as possible. You know, and when, when my wife and I, or when we go to the movies, nowadays you can actually pick your seats. And so I don't even pick, if I go to the seats and I'm like, eh, the seat I want is not available, I'm not going to the movie because I want to sit center middle, right? Because that's the best seat, right in the middle, in the center. Otherwise, it's not worth it, you know. I remember when Shana and I, we went with some friends to watch a movie, and we got there and then decided to book seats, and it was the worst choice ever, because we ended up with seats with the right at the front on the left-hand side, and we were like this. <laughs> and by the end of the movie, there were, there were some twitches in my neck, boy, like I'm like, that was the worst experience. I don't even know if I enjoyed the movie very well, but it was the worst experience I had. Which kind of leads me to my best experience. I remember when I was flying uh, down to Philippines, you know, we're doing a mission trip there, and I got a call over the P system. They call your name, which was exciting. You go up, it's like you're chosen, you know, you're special. You walk up to the counter, and they're like, we've upgraded you to first class. It's like, woohoo, isn't that cool? The only disappointing thing was that it was just a three-hour flight. I wanted a long flight in first class, but hey, three hours is better than nothing, right? It was the best experience. They treated you much better, unlike the peasants in, in the economy, you know? It's like, but you get treated much better in first class. They give you whatever you want, whenever you want. The seats are wide. It's much more comfortable, right? So why did I say all of that? Because what I want to talk to you about is where you sit actually matters, right? Where you sit actually matters. Most times in your life, you actually choose where you sit, right? As you walked in this morning, you chose where you decided you want to sit. Sitting next to the wrong person can cause you problems because it distracts you, right? It distracts you from paying attention. You're sitting next to someone at a restaurant and they're really a noisy eater. Ever had one of those? They eat noisily, they chew really loud. It's so distracting. You don't even want to eat your food because that feels really unpeeling. Or you sit in church and someone's on their phone and they're showing you their Instagram post and you're like, hold on, I'm trying to pay attention here. You're totally distracted. You don't know what's going on because you're being pulled in two different places. Or you're at the movies and the person you went to the movies with is always asking questions like, who is that guy? Why is he here? Is he with them? 
Oh, I thought he was with them. He's not with them. That's why they killed him. You're like, shut up. I'm trying to watch the movie, right? <laughs> and it's like the worst thing for me. Some people enjoy that. Not me. I don't like that at all. All right? So sitting next to someone can cause you either to be huff or distracted. It's so important to choose where you sit. Which brings us to this amazing conversation that actually happened with the disciples and Jesus. You know, Jesus was doing his amazing ministry as he walked through life and he lived and he taught his disciples and he gathered these 12 guys that he was going to invest in. He was going to pour out all that he had come to do into the lives of these 12 people for them to carry on the mission of what he had been designed to finish, right? And so one day, a couple of his disciples, they came to ask him something, kind of a, an outlandish question, to be honest. And Peter, of course, is the one telling us the story as we read from the book of Mark. It's Peter's story. And he begins to kind of describe this event to us. And he's telling us the story, and he's not really happy about it because he's kind of upset at these two guys, these two disciples that have asked Jesus this question. And I think the reason he's upset is because he didn't think of it himself. That's why he's indignant, right? Probably why, right? But here's what happened. James and John, you know, they were brothers and they had this brilliant idea. And they like, you know, they probably had this conversation among themselves. They're like, you know, this is a question that we can go and ask Jesus because, you know, we can plan this. We can really go to Jesus and, and get him to do this for us because I'm sure he can do all these things. He's been raising the dead. He's been healing the sick. He's been feeding so many people. I'm sure he can grant us this question. And so here's what happened. They kind of got a step up on the other 10 disciples. They kind of sneaked off to the side and went to Jesus. And of course, Jesus knew what they were talking about. And they probably had this great discussion amongst themselves, you know, as brothers tend to do. And so they had this great idea, this brilliant idea to go up and ask Jesus this question. Now, if you don't know about them, James and John, they had a kind of nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder. Did you know that? Right? They were called the Sons of Thunder because at one time, as they were traveling through Samaritan territory, the Samaritans came to Jesus and asked him to stay a long time with them. And they really felt bothered by these Samaritans harassing them. So they said to Jesus, Jesus, these guys are harassing us. Would you please call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? Burn them to a crisp. That's what they said, right? So they got this nickname, the Sons of Thunder, because they weren't very compassionate to other people that was outside their culture. They were a bit insensitive to that. So they had this other brilliant idea this time, and I use brilliant in a very loose term, to come and ask Jesus this question, right? And so they were quite brash. And so they came to Jesus, and here we go. This is what Peter tells us. He says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You're like, hold on, that sounds a bit arrogant. Like, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do, right? And you think, who are you? But that's what they said to Jesus. They said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, of course, being the compassionate leader that he is, he says to them, well, what do you want me to do for you, right? And they replied, they said, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. We want the special seats. One on your left hand side, 
one on your right hand side. Because their view of the Messiah was that when he came and established himself, that he would rule and he would be, you know, popular and people would come to him. And so they, they really wanted this reward, this reward that they felt was entitled for them because they've been walking with Jesus. And so therefore, out of all the other disciples, they got a leg up and they said, you know, we want to be the special ones. We want to sit on this side of you. We want to sit on this side of you because we want that spiritual reward that, you know, that esteem that comes. And not just a spiritual reward, we want the natural reward as well, that natural inheritance that's supposed to have come to the Messiah where, you know, all the wealth of the land would become and given to him because that's their perspective of what the Messiah was, that he would come and establish Israel, that he would destroy the conquering Romans, and he would make sure that Israel was prominent. And so they would get all this reward. So they said, that's what we want. We want this reward. We want this, this adulation. We want this recognition. We want this significance. We want the wealth that comes with you being esteemed to that place of glory, you know, in that throne. We want to have that significance as well. And before we judge them too harshly, I think we all are on a search for significance. We all want to be significant, right? And I'm not talking about rising up and, and being like a famous actor. We just want to be significant in the world that we live in. We want to be significant to our loved ones. We want to be significant in our job, that we do a good job and we're recognized. You know, we want to be significant in the world that we live in, whether it's in education, whether it's in school, you want to be the best in your class, whether it's in your home or whatever, even in sports, we want to do good things. We want to be able to achieve the first place because why else would you run a race to come last or to come first right you you want to come first so we are on a search for significance and so they were they were natural in their natural inclination to want to be significant to want to be important to feel that way before we talk about them in a negative way but jesus replies with this he says you don't know what you are asking can you drink the cup i drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And of course, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew there was a cross ahead of him. He knew that there was going to be tremendous pain and suffering. And the path that he had to go through was going to require a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. And he says, can you walk this path with me? And they, of course, being brash and young, said, of course we can. They answered, we can. If you're going to do it, we're going to do it too, because we're able to do this. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom have been, they have been prepared for. Here comes trouble. Because when the, ten, the other ten heard about this conversation they got really mad because they didn't think about it first, right? It says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Like, you want that seat? We should have had a debate about it. You know, Peter would have probably said, how dare you go up there and ask this? We should have had a vote. We should have had some sort of conversation. You know, this was not the first time they had this conversation, the disciples. They argued about who was going to be first, who was going to be the greatest. There was always this debate, this, this tension between them about who was going to be the best out of the lot. And Jesus knew this, right? They squabbled among themselves as to who would get the most important positions, who would be the most significant among them. 
And Jesus understood this conversation. He calls them together and he said, You know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And whatever he wants, whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Jesus turns this discussion of reward on his head. He said, you're so interested in, about being the first, the most important, but I'm not going to ask you a different question. They wanted to be significant in the eyes of their peers, that everyone else around them would come and acknowledge them as being important. But rather, Jesus didn't indulge in that discussion. He turned it around because he wanted to base their discussion on the desires of what they really had in their heart. Right? He wanted something practical. He wanted to teach them it's not about being the super spiritual person and getting all the significance and the reward. It's about being practical. You want to be important? Learn how to serve others. You want to be significant? Learn how to be generous to others. You want to be the one that's in charge? Well, learn to serve everyone else. Because that's what it is. Instead of whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant to all, must become a slave, in other words, in that time. Must be a servant. You know, a slave didn't have any rights. They were just told to do what the master told them to do. And we don't like that term slave in this world, especially now with all of this racial tension in our world. We don't like the word slave because it means that we have no rights. But that's what Jesus is saying. When you come to me, you give up your rights because you take on what I take on. You take on the mindset of one who came to serve. In fact, that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to rule, he came to serve. In fact, he became a slave of those people that he created. He gave his life. So we can rule and reign in authority. If you want significance, you have to learn the real reward is to serve each other rather than being served. They were interested in sitting up there and having other people come and serve them, give to them, acknowledge them, make sure that they are acknowledged and significant. But Jesus says, that's not what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that if you really want to impact lives, if you really want to change society, if you really want to be important, learn how to serve one another. Amen. Learn how to be generous with one another. They wanted to sit in this place of significance. But Jesus says, true significance comes when you learn to love and serve each other. Yeah. That's what he's talking about. That's how you get true honor. That's how you get true respect. That's how you actually get true affection from people when you learn to serve them and not rule over them. Then he continues and he cuts a little bit deeper than that. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say it's this practical thing. Yes, it is. But he cuts deep in that because the real question that he wants them to understand is, what is the ultimate motive of your heart? What is the motive of your heart? 
That's what he wants to get at. So he drills deep down into the substrata of their heart. What is the motive you want to be significant? Why do you want to sit up there and have other people acknowledge you? Is it because you want to be esteemed? Is it because of glory? Is it because that you become popular? What is the motive? It is the reward of recognition for what you do, or is it the reward of recognition of service? Which one is it that's really, what do you want significance from? Do you want to be significant in the eyes of people, or do you want to be significant in the eyes of God? Because they're two different paths. One is about service, one is about adulation. One is about popularity, one is about being made humble. Who do we want significance from? Jesus wants us to wrestle with the same question that he asked them. What is the motive of your heart? Why do you do what you do? And when it comes to motive of your heart, what is the desire of your soul? Where is the desire of your soul? And I hope you're starting to understand or, or realize that I'm less interested more so in where you sit physically, which is still important, but more interested in where your soul sits. You know what your soul is, right? It's, it's mind, it's will, it's emotions. We all deal with different circumstances in our life. We all go through the human emotions, the cycle. We all have betrayals in our life. We've been betrayed. We've been let down. We've been taken advantage of. We've been used. We've been abused by different people in our life. We've suffered heartaches and heartbreaks. But that's what makes us human. That's what brings us together because we all, on, a, on an emotional human level, understand what it is about human emotion. And Jesus did too because he went through all of the emotions that we go through. And so he's a great example to learn from. He's a great person to look up to because, yes, he was God in flesh, but he had human emotions because he was 100% human and he was 100% God. See, the important thing for us to realize is that Jesus went through the gambit of human emotions, but yet his desire was not to please himself for self-glory, but it was to please his Father. My will is... To do the Father's will, that's what he said. And at, at this moment of great tension and the crux of that decision where he is in Gethsemane, where he has to go to the cross and he knows the pain and suffering, he says, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. It took great courage, it took great strength to realize the pain that was before him and still choose to be obedient to what his father wanted, not for what he wanted. Because if it was up to him, if, I, if you and I had a choice and you knew what was going to happen, would you choose that? Probably not. See, you can let circumstances dictate your actions or you can let God direct your actions. You can't do both. You can either sit under circumstances or you can sit on them. You can't do both. You can either sit under circumstances or you can sit on circumstances, but you cannot do both. So where you sit affects you because where you sit will also affect others. It's a generational thing. 
Because as you lead in your world, as you lead in your family, as you lead in your business, as you lead in your community, so others will follow. Dads, if you will sit under temper and anger, your kids won't sit under you. Mothers, if you sit under anxiety, your children won't sit under you. Maybe if you're sitting under the curse of debt, your kids will suffer because of your decisions. Maybe if you decide to pay off that debt, then you won't have your kids sitting under the same circumstance you do. As a leader, where you sit will not only influence those sitting immediately around you, but all those in your vicinity as well. Because where you sit and how you lead, others will follow. If you're negative, others will be negative too. If you're depressed, it will flow into other people's lives as well. Where you sit with your emotions affects others. If you sit with people who have deep-seated problems, as they share on you, you carry on that burden with them. So I want you to examine, as Jesus wants his disciples to examine, examine the motive of your heart, your soul, because we do have a perfect guide in Jesus to help us live a life of significance in the sight of God. The reality is that we can search for significance from people. We can search for significance from popularity. We can search for significance from fame. We can search for significance from money. We can search for significance from a whole bunch of areas in our life. But it's all fleeting. Fame is fleeting. Money is fleeting. You know, positions are fleeting. It's all temporary. It all disappears at one point. It doesn't stay with us. But the only thing that will remain with us is when we are significant in the sight of God. When he acknowledges us, when he, we understand who we are, when God calls us son and daughter, that's what makes us significant. When we learn to seek significance from God, when our heart finds its true ambition, when our soul finds its true desire, we will attain significance in Christ. How do you do that, you ask? How do we get significance in Christ? Well, we have a perfect example in Christ Jesus. This is what the author tells us in Hebrews. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, how do you do that? How do we run, how do we run with perseverance? Well, here he gives us the answer. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And as I said before, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. <clears throat> See, the difference between us and what the author says about Jesus is that Jesus saw the cross, but he saw joy behind the cross. And therefore, he endured the cross because he saw the reward of the joy behind it. For most of us, we look at the problem in front of us and we don't see the reward behind it. And so therefore, we don't push through the struggle to get to the joy, to get to the reward, to get to the, the purpose. We are paralyzed by the point of the struggle. 
We are paralyzed by this and we can't move further in life. We are stagnant. We stop because we can't figure out how to get through this. But the author says that Jesus saw the cross. He knew what he had to endure at the cross, but he saw the reward on the other side and therefore he was able to go through because guess what? He had you and you and you and you on his mind and he knew your inheritance and he knew who you were. He knew you by name and he didn't want to lose you. He chose you over the pain that he had to go through. He despised the cross. He didn't want the cross. He didn't want to willingly go to the cross. He endured it. Right? That's what it says. He endured it because he looked past the cross and saw the joy. He could have sat there and he said, You know what? I just don't want to get past this. It's just too much. It's too much of a struggle. It's too much pain. It's too much suffering. It's too much heartache. It's too much humiliation. It's too much. But the scripture says that he endured the cross for the joy he saw after it. And then it says, And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Who's the him? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's our example here's our person we can hold up to and follow in. Because the reality is that we do have pain in this world. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that when you come to Jesus, that all pain and suffering is going to disappear from your life. Because as adults, we know that's not true. Jesus went through it and he says, you will go through the same thing as well. Just because you follow Jesus does not mean that you won't get pain. Just because you follow Jesus does not mean that you won't have heartache in your life. But the important thing is that you don't have to do it alone because you have Christ with you. That takes you through. And therefore, when the psalmist looked at it, as David looked at it, he said, Even though I walk now through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? I'm not alone because he is with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me in a time of even death. God's comfort is with me. I'm never alone because he's always with me. And so what we have to realize is that, yes, we go through pain. We're going through a pandemic of epic proportions. No one imagined this was going to happen. But guess what? God is with us. He's brought us through. We have life in our body. We have breath in our lungs. We can lift our hands and give him praise. God brought us through. And as we sang this morning, he is with us. You know, he is before us. He's behind us. He's all around us. He is with you. He is God Almighty. See, it's okay to sit down, but you have to choose where to sit. Because where you sit, your emotions sit. Where you sit, all the issues sit. Who you sit next to is important because they can either bear your burden or distract you. Our desire for where we want to be in life. You know, when you're driving home after a stressful day of work, you can choose how you deal with those emotions. 
You can choose to give them to God or you can choose to go home and take it out on your spouse. You can choose that when someone does you wrong, that you decide to choose to sit wisely in the place of forgiveness rather than the place of hatred and anger. You can choose when you're discouraged that you have a decision you have to make or a big decision you have to make. You can choose to follow in the footsteps of being encouraged by God or going around and sitting with someone who will discourage you and say, you know what, life isn't important anymore. What's the point? You've struggled. Nothing's working your way. Just give up. You can choose where to sit. You get to choose. You know, back in the day, probably dating myself, when you went to the movie theater, they didn't have assigned seats. You know, you could pick on your app. You had to like be first in line so you could rush in and get the best seat. <laughs> right? Some young people, you probably don't even realize that. And sometimes you went with friends and they're like, okay, we'll go get the popcorn and the drinks. You stand at the front of the line. You rush in and you save us seats. Right? So you run in there. You take off all jackets. You have extra jackets on. You're throwing them down in different seats. Like these seats are saved. And so when people come along, you're like, no, no, no. It's saved. It's saved. You're saving the seat for your friends. You're saving this. You know, it's really annoying if you're the one doing the seat saving because other people want to get these best seats. Right? They want to get us. And so we save seats for our friends. But see, sometimes we save seats for the anger in our life. We save seats for the anxiety in our life. We save seats for the depression in our life because that's who we want to. Sometimes we get into depression and it feels good to be depressed. You don't want to be depressed, but it feels good. So you carry along. You're like, come sit right here, depression. I'm saving you a seat. I'm sitting right here, anxiety, saved you a seat. We get into the car and we take fear with us. You know, saving a seat for fear, saving a seat for anger, saving a seat for negativity, saving seats for all these negative emotions in our life that we want to carry with us sometimes. Sometimes it gets us upset and frustrated, but we want to carry it with us. Watch where you sit. Because sometimes... Other people invi will invite you to sit in their depression. Other people invite you to sit with their anger or their gossip or their negativity. But they talk about stuff and you're sitting there with them. But see, the important thing is that we don't just have to save seats for all our negative emotions. We can also save a seat for Christ because he really wants to sit with us. And sometimes we rather gather all of these emotions and bring him into the conversation, bring him into the situation, bring him into the circumstance and have him sit with us. He's the last one on the list. If you had a dinner party, he'd be the odd one out. If you were flying on a plane, he'd be like, you know, in the waiting list. <laughs> we take all of our other emotions with us and sometimes we leave him You can save a seat for Christ in any circumstance. We need him in our life most times, but we rather sit with other emotions than sit with him. See, it's up to you to save a seat for the right emotion because he's given you authority to do that. You don't have to guard the seat for the negative things in your life. You know, you don't have to, t you can tell fear, seat's taken, you can move on. You can tell anger, this seat's taken, move on. You can tell anxiety, this seat is taken, move on. You can tell insecurity, this seat is taken, move on. 
You don't have to sit there. You can choose where you sit. You can choose where your mind sits. You can choose where your heart sits. You can choose where your soul sits. You choose. And what Jesus wants his followers to understand is that we do have a rightful seat. As a Christ follower, you have the privilege of knowing that God has reserved a seat for you next to him. He's given you that authority. And he wants you to be with him. As Christ follows, we are made significant when we come and encounter Christ. When we build a relationship with him. When we continue to follow in his footsteps. When we continue to take on his attitude and his perspective. We become significant. So where you sit is significant. What you sit next to is significant. And you know, sometimes, as I said, we're saving seats. But, you know, there's another example. If you were the guy or you were the person or you were the girl or the woman that got a seat saved for you. Saving seats is annoying as heck. But if someone saved you a seat, that's amazing because you can get to the head of the line. Ever been to a sporting event and someone said, you know what, I've got seats reserved for you. They're right up there at the front. And you walk by and all these other people are waiting in line and you have VIP treatment and you go to the front. Doesn't that feel good? It's like, oh, this is really good. You know, you peasants. <laughs> I'm just walking by. <laughs> when someone saves you a seat, it's great. You get to walk by others and sit in the seat that's been reserved for you. All because someone else had the authority to save you a seat. Someone with authority and power gave you the privilege of sitting somewhere that maybe you didn't even have the right to or the position to or the, the power to or the money to, whatever it is. You didn't have that, but someone else reserved something for you. And here's the good news today. As a Christ follower, Christ have reserved a seat for you. A special seat just for you. This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians. He says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. He seated us with Him. Where? In heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly realms. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. If you are a Christ follower, a seat has already been saved for you. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. So that no one can boast. You got this privileged seat, not because you earned it, not because you were special, not because you were more educated, you were more important. You got the seat because of Christ. He reserved it for you. And you can sit in heavenly places. Again, in Revelation, John says this, <clears throat> To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious, I sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're in Christ, you're victorious. And you sit with him in a place of victory. 
So rather than running around to find a seat where you want to find significance from people, find significance in Christ. So check where you are seated today. Maybe you're seated in a section called complacency. Where you've just been sitting there for years and years and years and life's just carrying on. Or maybe you're sitting in a seat or a section called comfort. You're just comfortable. You don't want to get out of your comfort zone. You know, this seat, and sometimes we sit on the same seat. It even has the grooves, it has nice grooves that you sit on. It's comfortable because your seat has taken your shape. All right? Or maybe you've been called to the front lines and you're still sitting on the back end of life. Maybe it's time for you to sit in a seat to lead a life group. Maybe it's time for you to step up and sit in a place where you've never gone before, but Christ is leading you. Maybe it's time to start being a contributor and not a consumer. Change your seat. Maybe that's what God is calling us to do, to change our seat to where we have been sitting with all these negative emotions and, and things in our life and sit where He's calling us to, the seat that He has reserved with us. Maybe He's calling you to be seated in a section that's greater rather than sitting in a section called regret and shame and fear and pain and sin. Maybe God has saved a better seat for you. Maybe He's calling you to sit in a seat of victory, in a seat of, of, of great significance. Maybe He's calling you to a seat of love and he's calling to you a seat of, of, of all of these other great things that he has reserved for you and we're still sitting in the seat that we have chosen for ourselves when he's reserved something amazing for us. So maybe it's time to change your seat. Maybe it's time to, you to find out what real significance means. You can't sit in the seat that you create for yourself because oftentimes it brings all of these other things with us. Sometimes you can't sit in the seat that other people have made for you because they want to mold you into something that they want you to be. But the true seat is what Christ has reserved for you. So I'll remind you again what Jesus said to his disciples that were squabbling and fighting with each other because they wanted to be significant and sit in the seat that they wanted for themselves. And said so Jesus says this to them. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. So I want you to think about what Jesus is asking his disciples and by extension what he's asking us. What is the ultimate motive of your heart? Where do you find true significance? Where does your soul sit? Where do you find yourself? Where should you be and where are you? And as we kick off this year, we don't want to bring the same attitudes, the same principles even that we've had in the past that has not served us well. Bring the things that have caused us to be failures into a new year. We want to be people that follow Christ into places that He has called us to be. Right? So, as always, I want to leave you with two questions. Question number one is, 
Where have you been seated this last year? Is he calling you to change seats? I want you to think about that this week. You know, I want to encourage you and I want to remind you, church, that the reason we have these questions is that you can take it with you into the week. That church is not a Sunday event, but church is a catalyst to your life. So, these questions, as you meditate on this during the week, it'll help you lean in a little bit more into Christ. It'll help you gain a better perspective. And as Tom said last week, it'll help us with godly motives. Right? So, what is Christ calling you to do? Is it significance in Him? Or is it significance in trying to find peer attention and other things? God has created you uniquely and powerfully to be potent and great at what He has designed you to do. You don't have to sell yourself short. And you know, it's not just about being in church. It's about being the greatest person that God has created you to be. If that's the greatest dentist in the world, then be the greatest dentist. If it's, that, if it's the greatest person that is a fashion designer, be a fashion designer. If it's to do, you know, whatever it is, to be an engineer, be the greatest engineer that God has created you because through it, God gets his glory. Maybe you've counted yourself short and you thought you're not smart enough, you're not educated enough, you're not the right color, you're not the right person with the right finances, whatever it may be, but God's called you to something great. Change your seat. Sit in the place that he's created for you. And not in what you think you are capable of doing. Because he created you to be what he has called you to be. So, where have you been seated this last year? And what's he calling you to this year? Number two, how can you overcome your circumstances and not sit under them? I want you to read through the week, if you can, Ephesians 2, 6, and 9 that we've just talked about. It'll help us remind us what God has delivered for us. So how can you overcome your circumstances and not sit under them? Read Ephesians, as I said, Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 9, and that will give you a great perspective and give you some fuel for your prayer, fuel for your week, fuel for the next few steps that you can move forward and help build your faith. That's because, as, a, as the apostle said, it's our faith in Christ. As we build our faith in Christ, we begin to mature and become what God has called us to. Amen? All right, let's stand as we close in prayer. My prayer for us as Transformers is that we continue to step into the places that God has prepared for us. You know, when we are ready in our heart, there's, there's a, I like quoting this old Chinese proverb. Apparently it's a Chinese proverb. Don't kill me if you're wrong. It says, when the student is ready, the master appears. You ever heard of that? And it's like, that doesn't make sense. But actually, it's true. When you're ready, your heart is open to receive what you're supposed to receive. And you'll find that God pours out into you. It's not that he wasn't doing it before. It's just that we were closed off from it. 
Is that what we felt insignificant? We felt like we're not prepared. We felt we're not ready. We're not important. All of these myriad of things that we put into our life that God doesn't put in, but we tend to dump into ourselves. Maybe it's because we've been trained. Maybe because someone said something about us. Maybe it's someone that was in a place of authority, a school teacher, a parent, you know, someone that said something, a boss to us about our life, or our attitudes that we carry with us for the rest of our lives. But what God is telling us today is that He sees you the way he created you to be not in all the baggage you've carried through the years but who he truly sees you to be and so let's change our attitudes and our perspectives and our seats we've been sitting in places we shouldn't have been for so long so let's change and watch where you sit because Christ has greatness for every single one of us in whatever arena of life we live in, whatever influence or confluence we have in the world, God wants you to excel. And yes, there'll be struggles, but He's there with you. That's the most important thing. That we are never alone. That He's always there with us. So as we pray this morning, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for us as Transformers together. That we continue to build strength upon strength, victory upon victory, as we continue in this year. Because this year is going to be our greatest year yet. And it, it might feel like, oh my gosh, all this stuff is going on. But regardless of the circumstances, you don't have to sit under them. You can sit over them. Because Christ gave you victory in Him. So no matter what the world is going through, we can still gain. Because Christ is with us. And we are victorious in Him. So let's raise our hands if you can as we pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for you are an awesome God. You are our Father. You've made ways out of no ways. You've brought us this far as we sang, as we talked, as we meditated upon your word. Father, you've encouraged us. You've lifted us up. You've strengthened us. And I pray, my God, that you continue to just Pour out your endless resources of love, affection, grace, power over every single one of us. Help change our perspectives to some of the negative things that we've influenced ourselves to be and, and replace them with some of the amazing things that you tell us that we are in you. That we don't have to sit in the places of negativity, sit in the places of heartache and pain and betrayal and anxiety and fear and depression. That you have reserved a place for us of victory, of power, of love, of significance. It's all in you, Christ. So we thank you this morning. I pray for every single person. I pray for their families as they go through this week. And we know we are in difficult circumstances. We know it's challenging situations. But Lord, you're with us. And you will help us see through everything as we navigate through this minefield of this world at the moment. But Lord, you're with us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your grace. We love you. Go with us in this week. Make ways out of no ways. Be present with us. Open our hearts and minds to be sensitive to your leading and to your guiding. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Put your hands together and give them some praise. Thank you so much for being with us. Hello again. 
and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.